Welcome to One of Us is Lying, the podcast where, well, one of us is lying. We'll be telling either historical stories, ridiculous conspiracy theories, or some deeply confusing combination of both each week. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, so it's going and I'm going to snap now. Okay. That's a very soft snaps. There's two snaps for you to go off of. One of them will match. Perfect. <laughs> it's going to be great. But so, yeah, tell me about your week and the cocktail that Adam made you. Um, yes, ASMR. Ooh. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I... BuzzFeed has come out with a bunch of, like, you need to drink articles. And I forgot how good some of the, like, college bullshit that I used to drink was. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite things is basically anything with whipping cream or anything with milk. Uh, I'm a bitch for creamy. So (laughs) I am drinking um, a makeshift pina colada. So it's pineapple juice with coconut rum. And it's supposed to have heavy whipping cream, but I'm out. So I just had a cocktail with whipped cream on top. Fantastic. We're still all recording separately because pandemic, COVID, all that jazz. It's real fun. Quarantining (laughs) with family is fun. Um, I've picked up a lot of weird hobbies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah, I started a garden in pots because I realized I'm going to have to move them back to my apartment, so I'm not planting them at my house. Smart. Mm-hmm. I have 10. Yeah. Fucking plant nerd. Jesus Christ. Art, hoe it up. I love it. I love my plants dearly. They're my new best friends in this area. Um, I got strawberries, and one of them is officially turning red, and I'm almost crying out of pride. <laughs> you didn't kill it. It's a Fresno heat. Yeah, actually, Fresno heat is wonderful for strawberries. Great, because they need so much sunshine. But yeah, so (laughs) I'm thrilled about my plants. Um, If any of them survive to San Francisco, I'll bring you some fresh mint for your cocktails. I am here for it. Allow me to make fresh cocktails. Mm -hmm. I've got normal peppermint and sweet peppermint. See, now you have to do this. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm actually not bad at plants. Like, I have a bit of a green thumb, which I'm proud of. I find it very fun. Um, I mean, I, I'm dating a Boy Scout, so I... Wait, was Adam a real Boy Scout, or is he just emotionally a Boy Scout? No, he was a real Boy Scout. Like, he went all Eagle the Scout? Way. Wonderful. He's an Eagle Scout. Wonderful. Yes. No, We're I so love proud. It. He still has his uniform, I think. <laughs> Somehow this makes so much more sense. Like, I feel like I just unlocked a key piece of Adam's backstory. Oh, it, it, yes, absolutely. It definitely is very clear in his trajectory in life. He can tie knots. Like, that's definitely a Boy Scout only thing. Be... <laughs> yes, it is mostly Boy Scouts. I was also going to say his innate sense of direction and the fact that he seems to always has, have a compass or n- know what the best compass app is because he doesn't use the typical always one. Always be prepared. Yeah. But yeah, so my week has just been working, being frustrated with work because work from home is just so dandy so again i've reverted back to gardening and i've been playing a lot of mahjong now Ooh, you know how to play i don't know how to play mahjong i have all i have an app for it because it was always like one of my favorite i've never played it like in person with like the physical tiles but i really want to um Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. i've also just gone on a lot of walks my dogs are very fat and out of shape so it's very fun (laughs) taking them on walks but they're also (laughs) both like a hundred pounds not necessarily because they're out of shape, but because they're really large dogs. So I get dragged most of the walks, but they also get really tired by about half a mile in. 
It sounds eventful. Yeah. I Did I tell you about the time we took Juniper for a walk? You took your cat on a walk? I took my cat on a walk. We got her a little harness. We put her in the harness and we took her outside. How did that uh, go? She did She did not have a good time. Mm-mm. She hated it. It doesn't surprise yeah, me. She, She's a spoiled little brat. <laughs> Well, because, so what she tries to do now, she tries to, like, run away and, like, well, she doesn't try to run away. She's a dumb cat. She doesn't know what she's doing. (laughs) She tries to run. She tries to go outside. She'll, like, look and she'll be like, ooh, what's what's the light out there? And uh, we were like, fuck it. We'll, We'll take you outside. We'll show you. And um, she didn't, she did not have a good time. Uh, she didn't do it for a minute, so it's good exposure therapy. <laughs> Just remind her, this is not what you like, this is what we took you from, like. Yeah, you were outside for a bit, and you didn't seem to fare well, so. <laughs> okay, so yeah. besides that, how was your week? This was your first real week of unemployment. It's been very confusing, uh, if I'm honest. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't know what day it is. I'm in the perpetually... Pe- perpetual state of it being thursday like i just always think the weekend is coming i (laughs) (laughs) i i have no there are no no rules (laughs) beautiful okay okay love that love to hear it all right we want to get into last week's episode so who was lying yes done telling your week (laughs) yes i'm done recounting my week because really there is no developments ever i'm just so bored oh wait my only other development which you and you can yell at me about another time but i do have to share with you um i'm considering buying a van living in like an rv no no you are not hippy dippy enough for that bullshit but i really want to be and the only reason i'm not hippy dippy enough is because no one lets me be because it's foolish. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Do that's, not buy a van. <laughs> it'd still be cheaper than San Francisco rent. Oh my God. I'm not letting you live in a fucking van. I know. Kay literally made a custom. Oh, that was my other development of the week. Um, me and my friends devolved into making custom memes, insulting each other. I'll send you some of the ones that were made for me. Very excited. <laughs> yeah, my Kay- story's about memes. Is it about memes? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Kay sent me, Kay is one of our, my best friends and she sent me one of a, it's a clip art person throwing away a banana peel and like a compost bin. And it just says me, Curdy's ideas. And then it's just the garbage can. Oh, <laughs> 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 Curdy. <laughs> right on the nose. It's right on the nose. But yeah, let's discuss it's fine. who is lying from last week. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, okay. So Curdy, were you lying last week? I was not. Every fact you. about entomology, including the yeeting of bees' nests, is in fact correct and true. And that did happen historically. So yeah, Georgia, look into reparations from the federal government for mosquitoes. I absolutely believe they should. Although I do think it expands to just like the South. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like they definitely bred aggressively and like that's the main reason. But like specifically Georgia, you have the best case. So yeah, because definitely. I wasn't lying, Jada. What part of your story was a lie? Was any of it true? Oh, boy. So, yeah, my story was uh, fucking wild. All right. So let's talk about the things that I lied about. So the kind of pin that kept the whole thing together was the Japanese-Italian-German alliance. So my story was basically insinuating that Germany or Nazi Germany had used venereal disease or prostitutes with venereal disease as a way to spread 
that through the allied troops uh that development didn't actually happen um germany had a very strong stance on vd and it was like they they kind of locked it down so the things that were true were those types of um camps so the specialists those prisons uh they did hospitalize people and they did treat them very poorly but it wasn't to the nature of like all right we're going to indoctrinate you and then send you out to like infect other people so uh another big part lie was the uh, tree part uh how do I say it? Lord. Um, Tripartite Pact in 1940. Um, so the pact was meant to solidify the sovereignty. 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 Thank you. Between the sovereignty between the Axis powers. Um, so if the Axis powers won, they wouldn't be fighting for more control. But it was pretty... It, it was ineffectual. Mostly because at that time... there they were heavily affected by the geographics of the area. So like Japan and Italy and Ger- like Italy and Germany were closer than Japan. Japan didn't even trust Italy. So they wouldn't really grant Germany uh, economic concessions and they wouldn't set, they wouldn't have shared information to that level. So the connection between uh, Nazi Germany and uh, unit 731. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unit 731 was non-existent. They did not connect or have any relation, so nope. there's no information sharing. None at all. They actually had pretty opposite research. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, other things that I lied about. Um, so the VD as a bioweapon, that whole section, that was a lie that was based on Operation Cherry Blossom, which you men- mentioned, so that was supposed to be the attack on San Diego mm-hmm. uh, by the Japanese or by um, Unit 731. So all of that was false. And then I want to specifically go into the group that I mentioned. The girls like brothel, right? Yes, the girls brothel, because that was entirely false. But it sounded so cool and so convincing. It did, right? So proud of myself. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know where it is. I can't find it in my notes. Anyway, so that group, the, the beady... I should probably find it so I can say it correctly, right? Wasn't it like beauty, faith, and something like that? Yes, the Bund... Yes, the Bund Dishu Madel was a group. So that was a real group. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the female version of the Hitler Youth. So the Hitler Youth was kind of modeled after Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> and then... Hey, look, another yeah, great rough. segue rough um so the hitler youth for the male versions was kind of that way and then this bdm group was for women who were 14 to 21 so there was the faith and beauty society which was real but that was just for like the upper class so between 17 and 21 the older group and then there was the bdm proper which was for the 14 to 17 group and those were for more home ec type trainings a lot of home ec stuff they did a lot of dancing that was like part of their curriculum Cotillion. But, yeah so that was kind of it, it was a fun lie to put together but also you know don't believe everything you hear mm-hmm. this was very interesting to pull together because they're very flimsy things but it did sound very believable it did so. and it all connected just well enough that you kind of pause and are like well okay yeah with, with that that was a great lie very proud of that one, Jada. That was good. 
Still traumatized by entomology, though. It's fine. So, Jada, since you were lying last week, how about you introduce our topic? Okay. So, our topic this week is secret societies. Woo! Secret. All right. So, uh, I have some background on secret societies. Fantastic. Um, Qualification for a group being labeled a secret society hinges on the degree of secrecy where it be coveting um, coveting secret knowledge, denial of membership, denial of the group's existence, or secret rites and rituals. Doesn't necessarily mean that the group itself is a closed from public. Uh, you can still know the society exists, but not really know about the inner workings about it. And this is, that's kind of the metric on how people build their notoriety. Like, you know it exists, but you don't really know what they do. Like the Skull and Bone Society or the Knights of Kevlar, things like that. Yeah, which uh, also, fun fact, sorry, I found out that no. the Skull and Bone Society publishes who they pick each year. That's shady. <laughs> Isn't hella it? shady. It's 10 seniors. They, they pick 10 seniors, and I want to say, like, the local school paper releases who the 10 members are, but they won't tell you anything past that. Anyway. Cool, so it's a fraternity? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, so there's no difference between that and Greek life. Cool. Chillin'. Um, so some background uh so history professor richard b spence also denotes a categorical difference between regular secret societies and elite secret societies uh so elite secret societies are people who are just rich and have power and a regular secret society is just regular ass people not that one not hard to put together um So in his series, The Real History of Secret Societies, he claims that secret societies have a frequent universal tendency towards factionalism, infighting, and claiming origins older than can be reliably documented. Uh, So people literally lie for clout. Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. Beautiful. Yep. And if you're interested in learning more about secret societies, his series can be found on The Great Courses, which is a collection of... Richard B. Spence. Richard B. Spence. Okay, continue. Yeah, and his course is called The Real History of Secret Societies. Yeah, it's like $30 right now. So typically it's like $250, but because I guess we're all stuck at home. They're just all the discounts. Yeah, thinking about buying it just because I think it'd be like interesting to watch, not from an educational standpoint, but just because I really love fucking cults. Yeah, no, 100%. Please do it (laughs) and then illegally give me the link. I'm not supporting piracy. It's fine. Piracy? You wouldn't steal a car. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about those ads. I didn't. They're ingrained in my memory. <laughs> okay. So because my story is really short, I also got into some really famous groups. So stop me if you've covered one of them, but I don't think you have. Uh, so let's start with some famous secret societies that you probably haven't heard of. Uh, the Order of the Elks and the Improved Benevolent benevolent and protective order of the elks of the oh, world those ones were my favorites i looked into them they're fun okay so there's also actually the, two there's also the equal order but it's of the moose oh is yeah. that females no i think it's no. a different race um, or it's a city that's called moose i did clearly didn't do that <laughs> it's one a city called moose okay uh so this is actually two groups of uh, the original group and then one built out of spite or racism depends how you look at it Anyway, super common. People don't like each other. No. Um, So anyway, the original Order of the Elks was a group founded in 1842, meant to keep their food pantry stocked while they met for theater practice. 
Uh, this is true, by the way. <laughs> That's the stupidest reason for a secret society. I love it. I love that it's a secret. Like, y'all just wanted snacks. <laughs> it was someone else. Someone forgot to bring snacks, and then you guys had to be a bitch about it. Yeah, so they were originally called the Jolly Quirks, and you had to be in entertainment to be accepted and white, but, you know, 1842. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And now the group sends more than $80 million every year on patriotic educational community programs and scholarships. Cute. Which is super vague. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they do, but they are the That's reason we have National Flag Day. When is National uh, Flag Day? Not a fucking clue, but they're the reason we have <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Love that. Yeah. Yep. It's fine. Uh, and then the improved benevolent and protective order was founded in 1899 when two black citizens are rejected from the original order of the Elks because they were black, in case you weren't sure. Clear on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the group is now 500,000 strong and has over 1,500 lodges, and it's currently the largest African-American fraternal organization in the world. Oh, sick. Yeah, right? I have three more. Uh, The Grand Orange Lodge, or commonly known as the Orange Order. Oh, I looked at them too. (laughs) I mean, they're famous. I know. Uh, So this is a group formed to protect protect Protestants from religious persecution. Mm -hmm. And then it was originated after the Battle of the Diamond in 19... I'm sorry, 1795. And named after King William of Orange. Uh... Now, the Knights of Pythias, which is a group founded on friendship, which is the most wholesome thing. (laughs) So, it was founded because the founder wanted more friends during the Civil War. Wait, that's so cute. It's so cute. He's like, hey, you guys want to start a group and hang out? Can't we all just get along? I just want (laughs) some friends. Yeah. And uh, tie in into Scouts of America. They're currently, uh, like, presently sponsors of Scouts of America. Oh, fun. The okay. Pythias. Yeah. And then the last one, the Ancient Order of the Foresters. Yes. Right. Okay. So it's historical health insurance. Mm-hmm. Which yep. I fucking love. It was literally because people were like, I should be able to take time off. Oh, yeah. But no. they needed their own secret society. <laughs> Oh, it was really funny. Like, multiple different secret societies devolved and or developed insurance companies. And I don't know what conspiracy lies in there and why that happened, but... Anyway, it just means that when you're in a group, you want to protect the other person by paying into their security. Yeah. That's how health insurance works. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. But okay, so those are fun ones. Yeah, the Ancient Order of the Foresters was founded in 1834, and it was created because um, they wanted to offer sick benefits to working class members in England during that time. So you can still, if you really wanted to, go and buy an insurance policy from them today. That feels like encouragement. I mean, I, I'm out. I'm here to support them. I b- they have a good cause. I mean, of all the other things that they could be doing, they're just like, I just want to be able to take a day off. I support that. <laughs> All right, so that's our background. And you got some new fun facts about some secret societies. All right, who do you want to start? You want me to start? You want to start? Mm, I think I started last time. So do you want to start this time? I didn't start this time. So my story is about uh, Na- um, Nako Remo, which is the dark version of Nano Remo. 
Wait. <laughs> NaNoWriMo as in like national november writing yeah okay month. there's a yeah. dark version there's is a that dark just, version is that just emo poetry no wait hold on this is like really important so the mission of the national conspiracy writing month okay is to develop new fleshed out conspiracy theories to be populated via memetics fantastic can we join how do we become a part of this literally okay so after this episode is published i'm going to send an email to the founder and just be like can we can we participate (laughs) please cc me just so you know this is the premise of our lives for the next month so it's fine (laughs) the next forever we've committed to this podcast we have but i so i was trying to figure out what secret society i wanted to do and i don't even know how i came across this group but it's, fu- it's fucking wild. Okay. I love it. Okay, tell me all the things. <laughs> so um, these crowdsourced conspiracy theories are then used to train PSYOP bots to assist with machine learning. So Oh, oh we're getting yeah. techie too. Yeah, it's, it's such a fun one too because it's like present day. Okay, I'm, I have to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I go into it, this is a relatively new group, uh, but it was still really hard to find information on it. Most information is coming from Twitter blogs, and when I was following several threads, most websites were taken down or replaced with misleading information. So uh, this is kind of pulled together from some articles on the founder, the Medium, which is like basically a free writing service, and then just like Twitter. So bear with me. There are a lot of holes, so my story is kind of short, but it is really, really fascinating, and I'm absolutely going to message him. Please tell me all the things. Yeah. Okay. uh, Nako Remo was created as a parody of the National Novel Writing Month, Nano Remo, which was established in 1999. Uh, The participant. Wait, I didn't realize that Nano Remo was that old. Right? Is it Nano Remo? I don't notice. I've always said Nano Remo, but Nano Remo sounds equally correct. It's fine. Someone will correct us. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's old. It's old well i guess 1990 is only like 20 years it's older than us that's the important part no it's not 1990 i'm sorry 1999 oh i can't hear never mind wait hold on are you 19 are you telling me this now (laughs) yes i've actually had a fake id and i've been sneaking into bars for a year now it's fine (laughs) nope i just this is this what this is what happens when you record separately you can't hear each other it's fine. I'm trying. I'm trying. We're trying. It's a group effort. Yeah, that was okay. Um, continue. <laughs> so the participant goal of uh, Nako Remo is pretty much parallel to the National Novel Writing Month, with the goal to be writing a 10,000 word conspiracy theory that can be shared using charts and memes. So Nano Remo is 50,000. Uh, The internal goal is to generate an in-depth conspiracy that is unique, original, and crowdsourced. So it kind of has more layers to just, uh, aliens are real. It's more in-depth. And so the founder, uh, Tim Huang, uh, has a long history of education and authority in the disinformation world. His first publication on... The disinformation world, Jada. Are we a part of the disinformation world? It's a thing. It's a fucking... It's it's an absolute thing. Okay, I love that. It's kind of one of the fun things about doing something that's modern, because you're just like, oh, this is is what I do. Yikes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 
Uh, so his first publication on social media and its engagement was in 2009. Uh, and since then, he's been a thought leader in dis- disinformation operations, artificial intelligence, and online ethics and standards. Uh, I didn't go into it because I just didn't write it down, but he he's very, very credible as a source. Um, he I'm pretty sure he went to Harvard. He went to MIT. Uh, several articles, he kind of jumped around. So he was um, like the head of the ethics board at Stanford. Then, right, I had the same thing because I thought, oh, it's just a dude. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, no, he's not just a dude. He's a very he's credible, a, intelligent, educated. He's a very educated. important dude. <laughs> that likes to lie yeah so well um i mean what is the name of her podcast (laughs) i was not saying that i was not wildly impressed and i definitely want to be his friend but like right this is one of the main reasons will he take us on as like mentees well no i don't know because i was at first gonna be like i'll email him because it doesn't matter and then i was like but wait a it does matter. No, email <laughs> him he's anyway. like a real human being. Nope, email him anyway. Just do it. I want to be his friend. Jada, make us his friend. Please. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is how you network, right? This is true. This is true. But I think, I wonder where he lives now. I don't know. I guess if he was the head of ethics at Stanford. It's probably in the Bay Area near us. Yeah. Anyway, now he works in law. Well, it's fine. I don't cover it. Side note, he is also the originator of R-O-F-L-Con? RoffleCon? RoffleCon. Like, rolling on the floor? Okay. Yeah. So this is, like, beginner internet culture. So this was in 2008. A pioneer. He was a pioneer in internet culture. So it was a conference dedicated to memetics. Uh, I'll go into what memetics are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, so th- I'll get into it later. I don't go into it now. But this is to say Tim is well versed in uh, viral aspects of online culture and how a memetics can overwhelm popular culture. All right. So he was very He's very well versed in different disinformation, artificial intelligence, online ethics, uh, the viral nature of popular culture and all of those things. And uh, another side note in terms of the RaffleCon. I'm just going to call it RaffleCon. That sounds better. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he this was before internet culture was more refined so we've kind of we went from rafflecopter to like a little bit more refined to super fucking surreal that's where we're at right now but the creative lol cat uh can i has cheeseburger yeah mm-hmm, him uh 4chan and know your meme went to this conference in 2010 yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it's like a really big. Part I don't of like to culture. think of the creators of any of those things as like individuals. I don't. That's fair. Also, please note that Adam was very upset that there was one person listed as being the creator of LOL Cat because this was a big deal in two thousand eight. Like it was a very <laughs> dramatic thing that there was one person. Okay. Well, because it wasn't just one person, it was like multiple people and not one person could really claim credit for everything. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was a really big deal because people on LOL Cat were monetizing memes that they weren't making. You can mo- you can monetize memes. I say as if I don't follow multiple private Instagram meme pages that have ads on every single post. It's fine. 
Yep. <laughs> that just <laughs> I just had to really question a lot of things right there. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. Okay. Ooh, I moved my mic. All right. <clears throat> uh, NACO Remo was formed in 2019 with somewhere between 13 and two dozen members. I couldn't find exact numbers on social media. Um, so it looked like there is a certain group that had 13 matter- members, but then in one of the published sources I found, it said that they had more than two dozen. Uh, so it was kind of unclear. So to be accepted into NACO Remo, you have to send your materials over to Huang for pre-vetting. And then once accepted, the conspiracy theorists must follow these steps. So there's the research and development of the conspiracy theory. That's like the writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then there's the revelation, which is putting together all of the like memes and charts and all of the information. And then the revisions and compilation. So (laughs) you have a face. I'm just like thinking about that. I'm like, that's so much effort. As someone who's tried NaNoWriMo like two times. Mm hmm. To just do that for a conspiracy theory and to make that many charts and that many memes, that's a lot of dedication. I really want to know. I hope you cover what conspiracies come out of this. I do. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. (laughs) Um, So those three steps are used to add depth and conspiracy and also pull together mapping of clues and resources to feed to the bots. So kind of like making a curry is how I envisioned it. Ooh, a metaphor metaphor okay um let's get into the conspiracy series that these people have had a hand in i really Um, hope ted cruz's zodiac killer is one it's not okay so these are kind of like left field i will say we haven't really seen them in popular media but like they're coming is my leverage that's your argument okay Mm -hmm. so these conspiracy theories are part of the secret society itself so it took a bit of digging um, to my knowledge, these theories are only shared with Tim Huang. So oh. they're not necessarily posted. It's kind of like they're given to Tim Huang and then he diffuses them. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's part of, yeah. Okay. It's part of what he's clearly studying something. Exactly. So what I'm doing is looking at their social media profile. So those 13 people that I found through social media and I'm, looking at things that they've posted during that time frame. So, uh, Google is backing Senator Mitch McConnell. Oh. Okay. Uh, YouTube is actively participating in the radicalization of today's youth, especially straight white males. Interesting that they took that as YouTube and not, I don't know, 4chan? 8chan? Is 8, 8, 8, 8chan is a thing, right? I don't know. I only did a story on internet culture. Do you expect me to know? No, not at all, actually. (laughs) Wait, no 4chan's a thing. Mm -hmm. The founder of 4chan went to RawfleCon. I know. I really feel like 8chan's a thing, and I really feel like it's been used as an insult in my life. Not to me, (laughs) but to someone that I, like, knew on the peripherals. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know, honestly. Mm -mm. Someone will yell at us. Uh, aliens exist on Earth but live in different life states from us. So they're just really small and we can't see them. Uh, <laughs> Microorganism aliens. Yeah, so think uh, prions, basically. Uh huh. 
Um, the International Telecoms Union has auctioned off radio waves that are used in the modeling of climate change, and those radio waves are vital to the accuracy of climate change models, and they were sold to T-Mobile and Verizon for 5G infrastructure. I love these conspiracy theories. They're so much more well thought out. Right? <laughs> um, Elon Musk is a terrible human being, which is it, kind of like a... Wait, is that a conspiracy theory? It's not. We, I literally have a note which is like, it's true, but like, we don't know that. <laughs> Fun fact, I asked my brother, like, why he liked and why like a lot of men I know like Elon Musk. And his only straight answer... It's straight white male, but that he's like... He's living out every, like, straight white male's power fantasy. He yeah. does weird, cool shit and has He's a lot a of money. He's a straight white male. That is it. That's how I feel about, like, Tucker Max. Straight white male. <laughs> Finally read his book. It's rough. It's, I guess you probably find it funny. I can't get through it. <laughs> I think that was an insult, but I'm not, like, my dad couldn't get through it was the funniest part. <laughs> yeah, it's like one every, like, week is about what my dad managed. Okay. So <laughs> we've introduced Tuck- Tucker Max to the 35 people who listen. Hey, we got um, they 60 listeners. Know. Really? I haven't checked. Oh, yeah. No, like it's actually kind of odd how many listeners we got. Hi, guys. We love you. Who are you? Question. Don't know. <laughs> we also have three followers on Instagram and they're not all me. Whomst? Okay. It, there's nothing. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> we've, at this point, we've done nothing to promote, guys. We aren't on when we recorded this, we were not even on Spotify yet. So we don't actually know how people are finding our website. Okay. Two more conspiracy okay, so theories Elon Musk from this is group. a horrible person is now a conspiracy. Yes. Um, don't save for retirement because climate change is going to end life on Earth by 2060. Hey, wait, I've actually heard that. I know some a couple people that are considering taking that as advice. Okay. Um, the Las Vegas Strip is designed to make you feel sad, thereby making the highs of gambling, sex, and alcohol that much more exciting. I don't know if I believe that is a conspiracy theory or if my time in Vegas is like, yeah, mm-hmm, no, I'm sad. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. That could have been a hangover. Could have been a hangover. It could have just been I was sad. Could have probably was a hangover. Let's... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so those are the fun. The, I think my favorite one is probably Mitch McConnell is backed by Google mm-hmm. and uh, don't save for retirement. Oh, the International Telecoms Union one is good. The though. telecom one I really, really like because that's the scariest thought. It's very, it's very layered. It's very, mm-hmm. layered. <laughs> very, very layered. Okay. So okay. those are really fun conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And this is they all are. from that group of 13 people. Again. If they are conspiracies, maybe they're doing real research, guys. I mean, part of it has to go. The the, uh, research part, that's actually one of the steps, right? Research and development of the conspiracy (laughs) theory. First one. Okay. Uh, Tim Huang's relationship to Know Your Meme founder led him to some deep insights into the world of memetics. Uh, So before I get into that, a note that the memetics is actually an, an actual field in anthropology. Or, you know, it will be in the future if you wait for it. Uh, memetics is very close. <laughs> memetics is the study of information and cultural information transfer. Uh, memetics describe how an idea can propagate cross different across different cultural groups without implying fact. So, kind of part of the disinformation part. And then, fun fact: the word meme has some interesting and. Anim- 
etymology, etymology, etymology that I won't really go into, but just a quick rundown. Um, Also, I'm not sourcing any of these like next three bullet points because I'm a person and there's not enough hours in the day. So sourcing is hard. Sourcing is hard. Um, Meme was coined by Richard Dawkins in 1976 and is analogous to Gene. Right. Um, it's pronounced meme, not meme, in case you weren't sure. It's analogous to Jean. Um, and meme was conceived as a unit of culture. Um, simply a put, unit of culture. Wait, does this unit mean I culture. can do equations and memes as the unit? <laughs> no. So the unit is kind of like an idea, a belief, ideology, pattern of behavior, that kind of thing. I'm glad you had the answer because I definitely would have started. I would have done math and memes. A unit of culture. (laughs) What's the conjugation? Okay. Um, So a unit of culture, which is hosted in the minds of one or more individuals. And this unit can replicate itself and jump from one mind to another in its original definition. Okay. That was the original definition of meme. Uh, and while Dawkins coined meme independently, German evolutionary biologist Richard Semen used a similar wor- uh, word, memen, in n- 1904 in his work in developing the Enneagram theory of memory. So, uh, menem derives from the ancient Greek word uh, mimem, meaning imitator or pretender. And Dawkins liked the fact that meme was only one syllable, so he stuck with it, even though Manem has appropriate Greek roots. Okay. So that was some fun. We love word roots. (laughs) I thought it was cool. I don't know. Memetics has always been interesting, and it's, like, definitely something you can actually go into and, like, learn about now. Um, Okay. So, Matt. Oh, God, his name is hard. Shh, shh, shh. Schmack, Schmack, just go Schmick, for it. Schmackowitz? Schmick, that sounds that sounds close enough. <laughs> Matt Schmackowitz, what? Matt, sure. Matt, Matt S. Thank you, Matt S. Uh, senior editor of Know Your Meme and self-proclaimed meme and internet culture expert discusses the relationship between memes and conspiracy theories. And please note that uh, this is something that. Know Your Meme founder Rocket Boom would also import on Tim because they had a relationship. Uh, So, quote, There is a rhythm to the growth of conspiracy theories like Flat Earth. They'll show up on 4chan and Reddit, and believers will start out as a subject of ridicule. Their belief will become a joke that's repeated uh, faux sincerely and increasingly empathetical by people who consider everything they say to be ironic. Uh, that's where memes come in, and in this case, they represent a style of mockery that looks an awful lot like agreement. From there, it can kind of spiral. It can attract people who are looking to believe in these kinds of things, looking for things to confirm what they believe, like the government's out to get them, scientists are lying to us, that sort of deal. Birds aren't real. Yep. <laughs> What's well, sort of ironic well, I'm sorry, what starts as an ironic thing eventually reaches people who are willing to go along with it. From there, you sort of have a full-blown conspiracy theory. It reaches a new level. So that's the how it goes from a meme to an actual conspiracy theory that people actually believe. I mean, that makes sense. Like, that makes sense as a progression. 
Yeah, and it's also the reason they brought up Flat Earth is because Flat Earth was like kind of like a dead and die society, and then it <laughs> it's recently blown out of proportion because people keep making Did memes about it. Did I ever tell it. you about the Flat Earther I met slash worked with very briefly? Explain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So background. This was I was working one of my rave gigs, and I was. It was like three a.m. We were doing like tear down. We're all exhausted, and my friend makes a joke about how time isn't real and it's com- everything's completely relative. And another coworker overheard this and went, well, you guys know that the earth is flat. And we both just like looked at him and we're like, I what want you to tell mean? us. We're like, I <laughs> want you to tell us so much more. So we spent the next probably hour And by we, I mean, mostly me, I was not very nice to this man and he was not a bad guy. Just I couldn't get past it. Um, He was explaining to me how the earth is flat, that the universe is geocentric, not heliocentric. So he believes that the earth is flat and that everything revolves around it. He believes in the plate theory of the earth earth being flat because apparently there's a lot of disagreement within the flat earth community about what type of flatness the earth has. So he believes that it's a plate and that it is encompassed with, like, basically the North Pole and, like, glaciers. So I asked him then if he was concerned about global warming because wouldn't that melt off all of the ice and then all of the water falls off the Earth? He said no. Mm -hmm. He said no and that um, climate change is not real, which was a conversation topic for another time. I also asked... That's a yikes. mm -hmm, He also didn't believe in gravity. Um, What? Yeah, this man did not believe in gravity. He believed in density. So at one point he made a joke because I kind of got everybody asking him questions about this. what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I didn't get that far, but he made a joke of like, I just want to like push you. And I'm like, well, I won't fall down because gravity's not real. So he believes that the sun doesn't do like a true circle. Wait, 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 wait. Oh no, I have nothing else. He can't fall? No, no. I made a joke that I wouldn't fall if he pushed me because, you know, gravity's not real because he doesn't believe in gravity. I don't know how that played into Flat Earth. I don't know if that related to that fact or if he just, as a person, did not believe in gravity. Yeah, no, I got... Does he believe in the moon? I We didn't get to that. We got distracted by the fact that he thought that the Earth was, or that the sun was like a lamp that you move and that's how you explain the different time zones. And I'm like... <laughs> Basically, all I could picture is the planets is like a little tornado above <laughs> Earth because that was kind of the description he gave. Um, yeah, he wasn't my coworker much longer. My bosses could not handle that either. I felt oh real my bad. God. But yeah, so that what? was my encounter with the flat earther. That was no. <laughs> I'm so confused now. Mm-hmm. I have only more questions. I did not get any answers. I don't like these facts. Don't give me this. If you're a flat earther, please keep listening to our podcast. I'm sure something will appeal to you here. Yeah. I don't really know <laughs> if I should face with encouragement or like. No, I 100% help. please <laughs> send us emails. Please send us notes. Please send us videos. I want to know why and what type of flatness you think that the earth is because like i just i need to know like someone tell me the truth like i just i want to know provide an org chart of like the different like breakdowns of the different theories that'd be helpful because like 
the Earth is flat is clearly not all of it. There are different scenarios in which the Earth is flat, and I want them all. I just Same. want like them to know. If any flat earther is listening, please tell us more. If you know yeah. a flat earther, if you've talked to a flat earther, tell us what they thought. I yeah. just am really curious. It was a great experience. Um, it's a great party topic to bring up. So, yeah, I'm walking into the club, raise your hand if you know the earth is flat. No, it's like a dinner thing, and it's like, who are some of the weirdest people you've met? And I've always got an answer now. Okay, so the Earth is Flat was an example of memology, memorics, what was it? Memetics. Memetics. Of, memetics. So Flat Earth was an example of how memetics kind of revived a dead conspiracy through irony. Yes. It's a great example, too. Okay. Uh, let's get into the uh, bot strategy. So... Tim has used this information to inform his uh, PSYOP bot strategy, hosting and testing the strategies via social media wars. So this was a competition between multiple bots to determine who could rack up enough social media engagement amongst them. Uh, so there was a publicized scoreboard and every follower a bot earned was worth one point and every reply and comment was worth three points. So the goal was to determine uh, the goal of the social media wars was to determine if social media influencers are necessary to garter internet clout and if we could use memetics to train these bots into better engagement. So basically, could we make a bot that would be as popular as a social media influencer using the knowledge that we gain from memetics and from like our proprietary information about how bots work or how people work? Um, so each bot was programmed with an emotion and a personality type to try and convince humans that they were real. Um, only one bout out of 10 failed the Turing test. Oh. Yeah, super interesting. Um, so I, the example that I read was, uh, there was two bots that I read. There was one bot that was programmed to be like a sports fan. And then there was one bot that was like programmed for angst. <laughs> hey, it's me. Yeah, so I, it was interesting. So the argument was that we as humans have become so robotic in the way that we engage with people that it becomes very hard to tell the difference. So it was oh, a that's sort a of not um, fun fact. It was it was actually a really interesting social experiment. I guess it wasn't a social experiment as much as it was a thing. It was an well, AI experiment. Yeah, I I don't know. I struggle with the word experiment. <laughs> Um, so these bots have been named social bots for their pre-programmed quirks, life histories, and chit-chat skills. So they are programmed with, like, backstory, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim has noted several times across multiple articles that he wants to push these bots even further with better machine learning. Does that mean people are going to start developing friendship with these bots? Because that's well, also a sad fact. Imagine being like, this is my internet friend. It's a bot. <laughs> The bot that won had actual legitimate engagement. So people were following and sharing her her materials. Um, there was there's two bots in the lead, right? There's one bot that was absolutely in the lead that had a lot of engagement that like people were commenting and being friends with, et cetera. But Twitter mm -hmm. had caught on that they were a bot and removed them. Um, and then there was another bot that had was second place that won by default that had the same type, but just their target market wasn't as clearly indicated. So the first one was a girl, which is kind of like fucking shocker, men are gross. And then the secondary bot, I don't, I didn't really go into the history of that bot. I didn't look into it, but I think it was another sports fan or something. 
Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, at some point, I'm going to look up how Twitter figured that out. Um, I think it had to do with the number of times they were posting. Oh, it was like too automated? Yeah, because I think it was probably like every hour on the hour or something like that. That or would do it. I, I did read part of it where there was a bot that was posting every hour and they got caught because they were posting every hour. Yeah. Hmm. So be inconsistent. <laughs> That's randomness is the only thing a computer can't do. Um, okay. Uh, so this group still exists, uh, but let's consider what the ultimate goal is. Uh, Tim Huang believes deep fakes and bots propose true danger in the liar's dividend, which is a concept that says debunking fake or manipulated material like videos, audios, or documents ultimately could stoke belief in fakery. As a result, even after the fake is exposed, it will be harder for the public to trust any information on that particular topic. So basically what that moon landing, not the moon landing. So basically what it means is that um, the general public will become even more disenfranchised and hard pressed to believe anything. So basically, you know how Trump keeps saying fake news? Mm-hmm. He's the perpetuating point, it. Yeah. Well, no, the point is that if something does come out as fake news, like actually legitimately fake, that gives a validity to his claim that it's fake news. So instead of being able to say, no, you're lying, like that actually happened and you're just trying to get out of it, it becomes a question of, well, was he telling the truth and this was actually a fake source? So it just adds an additional layer of discrepancy and an easier thing for people who are perpetuating lies. Mm -hmm. So they now have an easier time getting around saying, hey, that wasn't actually true. Um, so his goal in training these bots is to prove the existence of these threats. Um, think of the chibi trope that biologists releases disease in the world to prove that we're not prepared to handle a bioterror per- terrorist attack. Um, which, <laughs> fucking shocker, currently, by the fact that I'm stuck at my home. Not better at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not at all. But yeah, so his ultimate goal is that he does not believe we are prepared for something like a PSYOP attack via bots. He doesn't think that we have the right kind of legal structure, the right kind of um, critical thinking skills. So the whole point of being able to train these bots and have these social wars with these conspiracy theories is to kind of say, this is real and I'm doing this. Like, it's a real thing that can happen and can happen at any time. And we saw it with 2016, but it's only gonna get worse from here. In 2016, I'm referencing the election. Yeah, I see. Um, so your story makes me uncomfy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say uncomfortable. I'm just going to say uncomfy. I don't like it. (laughs) No. Okay. Um, so he helped publish an article card, harder, better, faster, stronger, international law and the future of online psyops, which is published by the Oxford internet Institute. Um, In this article, he conceptualizes scenarios where hostile actors can use bots to sow chaos via radicalization and misdirection in times of crisis. Um, And he also calls out governments for being unable to manage these threats, but also unable to persecute. So basically, there's a gap in our law regarding these PSYOP campaigns because we've never had to deal with it before. So we don't know how to yet. Yeah. 
Uh, Tim Huang also believes that bots can get smarter and better at providing services and blending in with reality to the point where we're able to traverse the digital space with little to no friction. Um, and he believes smarter social bots will allow us to carry out typical everyday tasks like opening a bank account via a bot safely and securely. Yeah. So while it is a kind of wild story, it is a very noble cause. And the group is under- is dedicated to understanding and improving bots to the it point makes- where we're able to say it's happening. We can do it. And here's how we can move forward with it. He makes me think of the WikiLeaks founder. That's fair. Mm-hmm. What's his mm-hmm. name again? Tim Huang. No, no, no. WikiLeaks. Oh, fuck. Let me Google, because I don't know. Did an entire report on him in college. It's fine. Pum, pum, pum. Julian Assange. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, that's correct. Pretty sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Tim Huang. Out there for the win, but also a lot of terror. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's definitely a fun story. Um, Especially the whole memetics tie-in. Because they mm-hmm. are kind of, they're disjointed, so there's, like, three sections to this. There's memetics, there's bots, and then there's, like, conspiracy theory writing. So the secret society is around the conspiracy theory writing and how he's using it to train bots. But then there's the actual bot formation and all of that, which is all public. And then there's the memetics, which is its literal own field that he has mm-hmm. participated in via the ethics, internet ethics board, basically. Wow. Okay, that was really cool. I'm a fan. I like that. Right? Very Isn't awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. The more you know. The more you know. Okay. Are you ready for a wild time? I don't know. Uh, I'm excited because, again, I love secret societies and I love cults. So hopefully this comes out well. Oh, I'm so excited. So... <clears throat> I am doing the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So I'm going to get like, oh so God. I'm going to do, do the you, history. I'm sorry, do you have images? Because I also feel like imagery would be super helpful. <laughs> You're going to have to Google all of the things. We'll post it on our social media also, because like, I don't have the words really to explain what the imagery is, but we'll get into it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Go on. Continue. So I'm going to do their history structure and like what they studied, which is a complete mess. So it's going to take a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, this is both a secret society, but more importantly than being a secret society, this is actually considered a magic organization. Yes. With it, a K or a C? With a C. Okay. Um, and it's it, not British. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, actually they are British. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. And so here's like a really, really quick little bit before I actually get into all the details. So this magic organization is split up into the first and second order. The second order or inner order was the group of members who had completed all of the curriculum the first order had to offer. They believed in the occult, spiritual, and metaphysical understandings with their higher beings being referred to as secret chiefs. This organization ended when revolts against one of the founders started. So that's like the very, very briefest description I can give you of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with the basic beliefs of this society and then the background establishment history of the Magic Order, then go into their hierarchy and then some of their rituals because there is a lot of stuff on them. 
Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. So again, as I said, the Hermetic Society or the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is a magic society and or magical order is also is what it's called. And it was established in the late 19th and early 20th century. The magic society was devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, and paranormal activities. So keep going. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Oh, I literally cannot express to you the joy I had in researching this. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm hyped. Mm-hmm. All right. So you kind of already discussed what a secret society is. It's basically a club or organization whose activities, events, and interfunction and memberships are concealed from non-members. The difference between that and a magic society is that a magic society or magical order or organization is an organization created for the practice of magic or the further or to further the knowledge of magic amongst its members. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, are you telling me that magic is real? That's the argument. What the fuck? (laughs) So in this case, in this specific case, magic can refer to the occult, metaphysical, and paranormal, a.k.a. exactly what the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is dedicated to. Like, they are kind of the pinnacle of what a magic society and magical organization is. I love that it's its own classification. It is, because you have to be weirder than typical but it's so fun. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So a brief description of kind of everything that they studied because I kind – like, everybody knows what the occult is, but, like, do you actually? So it's – I have a very blasphemous question. Yes, go for it, by all like, means. Very blasphemous. Go for it. What is the difference between, like, a religious order and a, and a magic society? Publicity? Okay. <laughs> and most things that are considered magic are considered blasphemy. Okay. And that that's kind of the main point. It's like pretty much everything that didn't make it into mainstream religion is considered a cult and it's considered magic and it's considered not great. So it's... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... I'm on board again. Mm-hmm. Let's go. <laughs> so a cult is the study of astrology, alchemy, and natural mel- ma- uh, natural magic, typically associated with esoteric groups and the elements. Yeah. Uh-huh. Metaphysics is a branch of philosophy that examines the fundamental nature of reality and the relationship between mind and matter. And then paranormal is described as non-scientific bodies. So like, you know, ghost. So back to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. They are noted as one of the most significant magical orders, but they are also significant for their impact and their single greatest influence on the 20th century Western Hermeticism. Mm-hmm. So Hermeticism is a set of philosophical and religious beliefs based primarily upon the writings attributed to, I'm going to butcher this name, I am so sorry, Hermes Trismegistus. Mm-hmm. Who Not was, a clue. Yeah. And the syncretic algamination of Hermes and Thoth, um, which to break it down was basically ancient Egyptian and pre-medieval like near catholic and like christian authors that's kind of like it's kind of a combination of both of both beliefs so i'm pretty sure they just took the cool and blasphemous stuff of both and just went oops together (laughs) this is ours now (laughs) so yeah do i know what i just described to you no i really don't but it's basically the school of thought that traces all the way back to alexandria and the first few centuries the common era where it united the elements of Judaism and Christian mysticism, as well as the Hellenic philosophies of 
Egyptian occult beliefs. So kind of what I was saying. This is pretty awesome and unifying, and a, this was a pretty awesome and unifying thing. And these beliefs continued through the Middle Ages into the Renaissance until we get to the Order of the Golden Dawn. So again, this could all very much be bullshit because as you pointed out, secret societies like to backtrack for clout. But Hermeticism is actually a very long-standing school of thought. Hmm. Okay. I will say you're using a lot of big words that I don't know. So, like, definitions. Yeah, I tried to define (laughs) them as many of them as I could. So, mysticism, is that, was that the one that caught you in that last little bit? Mysticism? No, I, let's define it to be safe. Mysticism is, again, kind of where faith steps into most religions. It's kind of where you, like, suspend your belief. Oh. But the more, like, basic breakdown about Hermeticism... I'm so sorry if I'm saying it 20,000 different ways during this podcast. I still am not entirely sure how to pronounce it. Um, it's basically that the idea of the is the idea that the universe operates based on orderly principles done through cosmic vib- vibrations at the substance of the all or the creator. Jesus. Okay. Uh, Why no, do I- we like this? Why do we write things in the most confusing fucking way possible? To get where we're going. (laughs) You know, I wanted to give everybody the full effect of confusion before I basically said cosmic vibes. Cosmic vibes. (laughs) Yeah. And the funniest fact about this school of thought is it's actually hugely influential in the development of the scientific method. Oh. Yeah. Unexpected left turn. I know. So, again, like, as much as it's mysticism, it is kind of meant to be a logical school of thought and a logical progression down because it does assume that the entire universe operates in order. We might not always understand the order, but it operates in orders. Um, They are also heavily associated with alchemists and the famous phrase, which I'm sure you've heard, as above, so below. Nope. Okay. You've heard the phrase. You might just not have known what it comes from and like what it refers to, but as above, so below. It feels like I've seen it in a movie. There was definitely a movie called As Above, So Below that took place in the Paris catacombs. There we go. That's, yes, yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's from Hermeticism. Um, okay. Honestly, this is really, like, cool stuff. And they got a lot of books on them. There's actually a book called the Corp, there's multiple books called the Corpus Hermetic- Hermeticum. Honestly, will I be getting them? Like, probably. Will I know that's what? because you like to collect books. I do you like to co- book stacks. I do like book stacks, um, but also because, like, I think my vocabulary would just increase immensely if I read these. Work mysticism in your regular conversation. You know, we pa- I've moved past tarot readings. We're past that. Let's go back. Let's circle back. I still do the palm readings. It's okay. So anyway, clearly none of the ideas that Hermeticism did went overswimmingly with the church. So this was shoved into the occult underground. And hence, that's why the order, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is based in secrets. So not that secret, though, because we definitely know the name of the three founders. So the original three founders are Dr. William Robert Woodman, who is honestly the least relevant in this group, William Wynne Westcott, and Samuel Lyndon MacGregor Mathers. These men... I'm very disappointed that these are all men. Can I say that? I really wanted some witchy vibes. (laughs) 
Okay, so we're going to get to it a little bit, but I'm going to like just drop it already. One of the really cool things about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is that despite this being the late 19th and early 20th century, they accepted and treated women as exact equals in their society. Yeah, I guess that's a big deal. It was, and some women actually held positions in the organization, but again, I don't really touch on them because it's not strictly necessary. And But yeah, no, they've always accepted female members, and they've always accepted female members as equal. The reason that these men, the founders were all men, is because they were actually originally a part of the Freemasons and the Societas of Roscrucians, oh. aka like two of the most famous secret societies. They were rich. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was originally founded in Great Britain, and the official existence was from 1887 to 1903. But the last, like, temple closed in 1978, and there are still multiple active offshoots. I mean, that's relatively recent. Yes, like it lasted for quite a while. So, the Order of the Golden Dawn originated from a collection of documents known as the Cipher Manuscripts, and these manuscripts were originally written in a cipher, translated to English, and they outlined the rituals of the Order. And they included a full curriculum of graduated teachings that encompassed hermetic teachings, astrology, tarot, geomancy, and alchemy. They were believed to have been passed on to Dr. Westcott through the Masonic Brotherhood, where he was able to decode them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so a secret have, society, so, huh? Freemasons are really just everywhere, huh? Yes, very much so. Is it because um, they were just so big and there was like less people in the world? I think it's a combination of that, and they really liked recruiting men in power. Still do. Okay. And again, for all the jokes about Freemasons, like the cults saying they've existed for a long time for clout, Freemasons actually have existed They've for been a around long. for fucking ever yeah mm-hmm. so what so again as i said william Wynne westcott he was kind of the main guy because he's the one who was given the cipher manuscripts he was the one who originally decoded them he then called on mcgregor mathers who i'll probably just refer to as mathers from here on out for a second opinion and mathers becomes credited with designing the curriculum for the second order which he called the rose rubier at Acre Crucia. Um, so it's Ruby, Rose, and Golden Cross because, you know, what's the occult and magic without some Latin? I'm rolling my eyes so fucking hard. <laughs> but tell me this isn't exactly what you wanted out of a secret society. So again, the, like, the reason I have to clarify that Mathers, Mathers is credited with creating the curriculum for the second order, it means that he took what was in the, manu- ma- uh, the cipher manuscript and built past it. Because for okay. whatever reason, the second order is the higher ranking order than the first order. So there's another alternative history for the creation of the group and where the cipher's from. But the most logical progression is that Westcott received the cipher from someone within the Freemasons. So the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was founded in October 1888 or 87 and Within less than a year, so in 1888, the Isis Urania Temple was founded in London. This was, again, as I kind of mentioned, the really cool thing about this was that women were allowed to join and were encouraged to study and practice the occult. And again, you know, this is 1888. They got funding through the temple because they, by writing to a woman named Anna Spregnel, who was a German countess and a prominent Rosicrucian, whose address was said to have been in the cipher. 
So in the cipher, we're not sure how old the information is, and we're not sure where in the Freemasons it developed, but essentially the cipher came forward with these teachings, and it had this woman's address in it, and she was part of another secret society, and she more or less helped found, create, and establish and we kind of get into why this is weird because she might have been considered a god figure. She might have been a metaphor. It's a, There's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, other than certain Wait, rituals... Was yeah. it intentional, though? Which part? The address. Like, was it meant to be found? It was in a cipher, so if you could decode the cipher, it was meant to be found. Okay. Yeah, so she was a willing participant... We don't know if she put her name down, who put her name down, who put her address down. Um, and she also leaves the story very quickly because she dies off and Westcott or Westcott says she dies off. We really don't know. Um, so other than the certain rituals in the cipher, the first temple was a like was originally meant to be more of a philosophical and metaphysical teaching place than an order of magic. So it wasn't originally super occulty. It was mostly just a place to for deep talking and like deep thinking and yada yada yada. for the first four years the golden dawn was one the order of the golden dawn was one cohesive group known as the outer order or the first order an inner order was established in 1892 and the inner order consisted of members who were known as adepts So, to be an adept, you had to complete the entire course of study for the Outer Order. The group, this group of adepts became known as the Second Order, and this is the study that I set. Wait, hold (laughs) on. Sorry. (laughs) Not to interrupt you. Go for it. But this is the same path of, like, of courses as it is in in Sims. Sims. (laughs) Wait, what? Like... (laughs) In Sims, there's the game pack called Realm of Magic, and, like, those are the steps. <laughs> yes. I, yes, wonderful. Again, like, it's funny because you read a lot of this, and, like, I'm going to out myself as a wee, but there was def like, one of their symbols is definitely used in multiple animes. And I'm just like, okay, go off. <laughs> Again, that's probably due to the fact that most, like, they are kind of the magic society and they are really what we think of when we think of alchemist and like modern magic and modern occult. So I'm not surprised. They're the originals. You know, they're the the most recent ripoff of the originals. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So again, I'm sure that you'll see a lot of similarities with them everywhere. Uh, Again, very excited. Oh, this is my favorite. I am so thrilled. So, again, the second order was the group that then studied what Mathers created. It was that Latin name that I gave, the Ruby Ruby Rose and the Gold Cross. That was the information you had to study to be in the second order. Mm -hmm. So, within a few years, four more temples were founded. Again, I'm going to butcher all these names, and I'm so sorry. It's the... Os Iris Temple in Weston Supermare, the Horus Temple in Bradford, the Amon Ra Temple in Edinburgh, the and Horse the Temple. Huh? <laughs> the Horus Temple. <laughs> yes. And the Ahathor Temple in Paris. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, as I mentioned, Anna Spregnel, the or Spregel, the one who was whose information was in the cipher, Westcott 
suddenly ceased communicating with her in 1891. From there, he said that if anyone wanted to be in contact with the secret chiefs, it had to be done on their own. So remember how I mentioned that she might have been like a godlike figure or like an oracle figure that we're not really sure about? It's because Mm -hmm. the direct association with the secret chiefs. What are the secret chiefs? Are you ready for a lot of words? All right, hit me with these words. Okay, so what are secret chiefs? They are said, and again, this is copy and paste because I didn't know how else to put it, to be (laughs) transcendent cosmic authorities, a part of the spiritual hierarchy responsible for the operation and moral calibre of the cosmos or for overseeing the operation of an esoteric organization that manifests outwardly in the form of a magic order or lodge system. As someone, as in, this is someone who communed with the cosmos and the universe in and is placed as a guide to those in lodges or magic organizations. While some members of the Order of the Golden Dawn claim that these are real people, others claim that they are godlike, bodiless figures, and some claim that they are just a metaphor for a great leader or teacher for a spiritual path. Again, not a ton of info. It's a key secret for the secret so society there's part. Like, there's like three groups in there, right? There's um, godparents. No, no, no. It's- that was... These are the vibes I'm getting from this. They're godparents, they're priests, but then they're also, like, chaos and order from the fucking Marvel comics. (laughs) So, kind of. So, again, there's not three categories. It's one group of beings, and depending on what you believed within the Order of the Golden Dawn, you saw them as one of three figure types. And you saw them as basically like an oracle who communed with the cosmos and could interpret order from chaos. You Mm -hmm. saw them as more paranormal, bodiless, godlike figures. So kind of gods. Or you saw them as a very grand and dramatic metaphor. So are there there one for each temple or just one? No, no, no. Every, there's multiple. It does not clarify what the multiple is. It's basically Secret Chiefs was the overarching creator and power that hermetic like basically theology required you to believe in mm-hmm. because and past that we don't know they're just referred to as secret chiefs secret chiefs are kind of this uh part of the hermetic order of the golden dawn it's really the epitome of a secret society yeah there's secret again, chiefs Yeah, and again, we don't know if these are gods, we don't know if they were worshipped, we don't know if they were just metaphors to enlighten people, like, they're just referred to as secret chiefs. Okay, dope. Yeah, and again, Anna Anna is kind of referred to as one, because Westcott directly says that if you want to contact secret chiefs, you have to do it yourself, because he was originally in contact with the secret chiefs. Still don't know what that means. So. Okay. And that was in 1891. But then in okay. 1892, Mathers, the other founder, claimed to claimed that he was able to link and communicate with the secret chiefs and that they had supplied more rituals for the inner order. This order was now called the Order of the Red Rose and Gold Cross. Again, this is roughly the name of the teachings that Matthew Mathers created and decoded. And depending who you talk to, this was actually considered a separate secret society and magical order. Mm -hmm. I'm going to count them all as one because they pretty much all were one and you couldn't join the second one without being a part of the first one. So, 
By mid 1890s, the Golden Dawn was a very well established was very well established in Great Britain, with its membership being a hu- over a hundred from every class of Victorian society, which is huge. So not only did they allow women in, they also allowed members from every class. You didn't just have to be important. You could be poor, you could be broke, you could be a laborer, but you were allowed in. Their membership included a lot of revolutionaries, actresses, poets, um, and great thinkers. Like there was some pretty cool names on there. The only one I bothered writing down was William Yeats because poetry. <laughs> so that's interesting. Sometimes, right? Like it was a very progressive group given the time yes. and given the location. So this is where the drama starts. You know how you mentioned infighting? Yeah, I know. Oh, they had so much. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was so wholesome for a bit. It's fun. Okay. <laughs> it, yeah, no. <laughs> so sometime around 1897, Westcott, the original founder and decoder, broke all ties to the Order of the Golden Dawn and left it in the control of Mathers. Rumor has it that this happened because he left secret paperwork in a cab where it was then found by his superiors at his jobs at his job, they then threatened him and said, either cut all ties and remove yourself from this organization or you're losing your entire career. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, because even though he technically stepped down, there is paperwork that was signed by him, like, years later. So he stayed a part of it. He just oh, left so he all. didn't. he didn't step down. <laughs> he stepped down from title. Okay. But he didn't step down from his work and membership. So this is where the drama comes in. While there's no proof that Mathers planted these papers, the relationship between Westcott and Mathers ended immediately after this happened. No shit. So Mathers was left in charge as the only founder, but towards the end of 1899, tensions rose and the adepts of the Isis Urania and the Amun-Ra temples became extremely dissatisfied. Again, the Isis Urana Temple was the original temple. This is because this was in part because of Mather's leadership style and also because they became anxious to make contact with the secret chiefs instead of dealing directly through Mather's. Because again, Westcott said that they cut ties and that all secret chief communication had to be done through the members. And then a year later, Mather stepped up and said, no, I can communicate with them. Again, we don't really know what the secret chiefs are. We don't know if they're people. We don't know if they're a metaphor. And we don't know if they're just meant to be a god figure. Okay. I'm tracking. So anyway, there was another secret. Yeah, that's that's all the confusion. There was also like there was so much tension that there was another secret society developing within a secret society at the Isis (laughs) Urana temple. Oh, boy. Uh, boy. mm -hmm. Mathers was requested to step down on January 16th, 1900 which he believed was to be the work of Westcott. So Mathers got Westcott to step down, and now he believes that Westcott got him to step down. Um, after a council... Yeah, right? Drama. After a council of adepts were put together to investigate, Mathers was dismissed from the Order of the Golden Dawn on March 29th, and he was expelled from the Order entirely. But of course, he still maintained some involvement in the society until it became officially extinct in 1903. That said... Despite the official extinction, more temples were established around the world, but everything was closed and over by essentially the end of the 1930s due to the world wars, with the exception of two temples. The Hermes Temple in Bristol operated sporadically until 1970, and then I'm gonna, oh god, 
Smragrigdum Thalassus Temple. That's a lot commonly of called the War the Warra Temple, which was mm-hmm. in Havelock, North New Zealand, which was formally closed in 1978, and that one was in consistent operation. So that was the longest te- temple. Okay. Yeah. Now, did these temples have any like significance in their communities, or were they only for this society? My understanding is they were pretty much only for this society. Okay. Mm-hmm. So cool. unlike, say, the Freemasons, there was not a lot of philanthropy immediately associated with their name. Yeah. It was just a clubhouse. Like, we have a Freemasons Lodge in Davis. We do. We and also an have Odd an Oddfellows Lodge. We do. I almost did the Oddfellows because I didn't know anything about them. Right? But, oh, that would have been interesting. They're I know very a bit friendly. About them. It's a very, very wholesome society. They're very friendly, but they're also very... Hmm. If you use the word we weird... the lines on um, slavery <laughs> with some of these cults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of risky. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, no, there, it's pretty much anywhere members are willing to put money forward, there is a lodge. These ones were mm-hmm. less common because all almost all of the lodges were found by founding members. Mm-hmm. Which was part of the issue. Mathers spent a lot of time in the Paris Temple when, you know, this was originally a Great Britain establishment. So by him being so far removed, he kind of gave power over to other people, specifically a few women that people didn't like. Not super important, but basically Mathers and Westcott outed themselves of their own secret society that they both founded. There are a few splintered orders that are inspired by the Golden Dawn. I'm not getting into them simply because there was a lot of them and, like, I've already said enough about the background and the basic beliefs. But my favorite is that there is one of them in Rochester, Michigan. So if we ever go out to Michigan, I'm visiting it. Again, it's not a true order of the Golden Dawn. It's one of their, like, split-offs, but it's it stays very, very true to it. So, like, I okay. want to see it. If anybody's in Rochester, please send me a photo. Please. I absolutely would go. So, the Golden Dawn system was based on the initiated hierarchical order that is similar to the Masonic Lodge. However, again, women were admitted on an equal basis with men. The Golden Dawn technically refers to only the outer of the three orders, although all three orders were often described as the, as the Golden Dawn. The first order taught esoteric philosophy based, based on the oh God, Hermetic Kabbalah. And, the per- and personal development through study and awareness of f- the four classical elements. They also taught the basics of astrology, tarot, and geomancy. The second or inner order, the Rochus Rubia et Acrea Crucius, the ruby, rose, and the gold cross, or cross of gold, taught magic proper, including, including scrying, astral travel, and alchemy. The fabled third, uh-huh, yeah. The fabled third order was that of the secret chiefs, who were said to be great adepts, no longer in incarnate forms, but who directed activities to the lower, lower two orders by spirit communication with chiefs of the second order. Okay, so that's the best description we've got of the secret chiefs. They were theoretically past members, but like not really, but like not physical bodies. But again, they're people who um, evolved. They reached nirvana essentially. Yeah. Let's just rip off another another religion while we're there. It's fine. <laughs> but again, we're getting to it, but there was a book published about this cult, like a not cult, secret society, and that's <laughs> where and that's where we get that certain members don't believe that the secret chiefs were real or ever real and saw them more as a metaphor 
And again, there was potential that these were real people because there was the German Countess Anna that was actively being spoken to and written to. Like, there was active correspondence. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd assume it's an ascension type of thing. Yeah, that, that's the understanding. But depending on where you look at it, who knows? Mm-hmm. And again, that's the fabled third order. So the different grades of the list of the orders are listed below. So, oh God. In the first, <laughs> yeah. In the first order, there's the neophyte, which is zero equal. I know zero equals zeros. <laughs> um, there's an explanation for what these numbers mean, and I'm going to get to it. So oh, no. neophyte zero equals zero. The zealotor. Why is this so complicated? <laughs> it's a it's a magical order. Of course it is. The zealotor. The Theoricus, the Practicus, and the Philosophus. Mm-hmm. These are awful names, can I just say? <laughs> I think it's because they're literally just one singular Latin word. Second okay. order. <laughs> the Intermediate. It's the Portal Grade. The Adeptus Minoris, the Adeptus Majoris, and the Adeptus Ex- Exemptuus. So, again, that's why they're called the Adepts. Just major, minor, and exemplary, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then the third order, Magister Tempil, the Magus, and the Ipsissim Imus. I'm fascinated that there are levels to godliness. There are levels to godliness. I guess you could be a minor god and a major god. Yeah, but I don't know what the third level is. Ooh, god. Yeah, so... Just, you just drop both labels. <laughs> So the paired numbers that are attached to these that I kind of started skipping relate to the positions on the tree of life. The tree of life is their most famous symbol. And it's the one that you kind of see ripped off in every Western media and even Eastern media, because I'm 95% sure that I've seen this in like an anime or something. So yeah, look up the golden dawn tree of life. I have to. The neophyte grade of zero zero equals zero indicates no position on the tree. For the others, the first number is the steps up from the bottom, and the second number is the step down from the top. You you look so confused. Do explain, Jada. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you recognize I, it, don't you? I was just expecting a tree. This feels like something straight... Oh my god, are there chakras involved? Yes, again. What the fuck? <laughs> this is heavy mysticism that takes from pretty much everything so the first order grades were related to the four classical elements so earth air water and fire respectively. literally full metal alchemist i was thinking this looked like full metal alchemist shit and that's one of the things that pops up yeah like i i'm i've literally seen this i'm pretty sure that's where they got a lot of their ideas yeah no like when i say people <laughs> directly ripped it off i mean they directly ripped it off i also kind of think it's in black clover i but, am so fascinated. yeah Okay, I guess it makes sense, we'll post, though, because yeah, alchemy guys. is such a, a popular thing, I suppose. Or is a popular mm-hmm. thing to write about. Yeah, it is. I'll post photos of some of their symbols because, like, they're... I just, again, I don't really have the words to explain what these look like. Mm-hmm. I wish I did. I understand this is a podcast and visuals are not what you're supposed to include, but... shouldn't have to look to enjoy a an you don't just just know that whatever you're thinking of an alchemy symbol, add more details and more Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. So the first order was relate. So again, the numbers that associate with these positions are relevant to their position on the tree. So the first number is the number uh, steps zero up from zero. The, 
yeah, so that means they don't have a position. So the second example is it's 1 equals 10. So the first number is how many steps up it is from the bottom. And the second number is how many steps down from the top. Oh. Mm-hmm. So again, the first position after a neophyte, the zealoter is 1 equals 10. And then the last order or the last member of the third order, the epissimus is 10-1. Okay. I yeah. see it. Yeah, so it's this very, like, snaking, winding path that you have to kind of evolve yeah. to get through. It's not clear, is it? Clear at all. <laughs> no. It is, the in port- fact, very confusing. It's very complicated. It's very ritualistic. It's very much oh. a magical society. Yep, I found one with Greek symbols on it. Hey, so. it has all the above. It has Nothing Greek, is sacred. <laughs> yeah, it's got Greek, Hebrew, tarot, astrological, and I'm sure another religion if, like, I just couldn't name it if you pressed me. I'm sure it's right. Egyptian mysticism. So mm-hmm. the next one is the portal grade was the initiation ritual for admittance to the second order. The circle of existing adepts, adepts from the second order had to consent to allow the aspirant to join the second order. So not only did you have to get through all of the teachings of the first order, you then had to be approved by the other members to join the second order. The second order, again, as I kind of said, was not a pr- was not properly a part of the Golden Dawn, but its own separate order known as the RR et AC, aka the Ruby Rose and the Golden Cross, but in Latin. Um, they The second order directed the teachings of the first order and was the governing force behind the first order. After mm-hmm. passing the portal, the aspirants were instructed in the techniques of practical magic. Yes, there is practical magic. When another exa- examination was passed, the adepts and the other adepts consented. The aspirant gained the grade of Adeptus Minor, 5-6. There were also four subgrades of instruction for the Adeptus Minor, again relating to the four outer order grades. Basically, a lot of fours because of the four elements. Like, backing and alchemy, there's heavy emphasis on the four, four elements, especially because Hermeticism focuses on the physical and our relationship with the physical earth around us. Can I also just say yes. that, like, knowing what we know about being in a Greek organization... LOL. Literally everything is fake. Like, <laughs> you can pick something and then back up into it. Yes. But my point is, like... Yeah. Nothing But matters. no, like, th- they made a point, like, everything was based in fours. They moved forward. And again, this is theoretically all coming from that original cipher. Mm-hmm. So all of these tie into their symbol, which is called the Ruby Cross and the, or the Ruby, or not the Ruby, the Rosy Cross of the Golden Dawn. And it's an elaborate colored cross covered in alchemist and astrological symbols. Again, I really wish I had the words to put this into perspective, but it's honestly like a very ornate rainbow colored cross that has every sacred and every just symbol you've ever seen just all on one. And that was their symbol. They basically took, they're like, is that a form of magic? Now it's ours. <laughs> um, so again, because this is both a secret society and a magic order, or magical organization, I could only find so many rituals. Um, though my understanding is that there is a book published by a man called David Griffith. Griffin. It's called The Ritual Magic Manual. And that pretty much lays out extensively 
all of their rituals and like everything that they did. Um, it's been permanently withdrawn from press and from print, which depresses me a lot. So like if anybody has a copy and like, will let me borrow it, please, because it's on Amazon for like over $500. So I'm not buying it, but I do really want to read it. But here are the few rituals that I could find. The first, the first ritual of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was the rite of the Kalbastic Cross, which is a visualization technique that helps one grow and expand when you make the sign of a cross with a dagger pointing up and up, and then you make the sign of the cross because it represents the four elements. You start above your head and you end by making circles around your heart. So you basically hold a dagger in front of your face, point up, you move it up, you move it down below your groin, you move it to your right shoulder, you move it to your left, and then you make circles with the point around your heart. It was a lot of, like, it was, there are instructions, you can find it on their website. They do have a website. Okay. Yeah, it's meant to be a very heavy visualization technique. The next one is called the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. Yes. I, I was just going to say, it's wild how many secret societies have websites. <laughs> oh, it makes me so happy. And, like, all of the websites look fake. Like, it really looks oh, like someone made this done. in the early 2000s. Incredibly awful. But this one does have illustrations. So the second ritual I was able to find was the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, which includes ancient Egyptian posing and the use of a dagger to trace and pierce a pentagram. Do I know what it's banishing? No, but it is a banishing ritual. It's the one, it's one of two. The, there is another lesser banishing ritual, but this one is of a hexagram. Same energy as the last one, but this time with a hexagram and different incantations. And it's apparently the more complicated one. More visualization, a lot of focusing in on what more or less translates to your chakra, but it's the focusing of bringing the outer power into you, but it's banishing something also. Um, The last one I could find was the Miller Middle Pillar Ritual, which can only be done after the two lesser banishing rituals have been done. This one kind of reads like a meditation ritual and encourages you to be aware and draw energy into yourself, and it's completed with the repetition of the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. That's all I got. It was a lot of daggers, a lot of movement, a lot of visualization, and a lot of piercing. Oh, boy. Wait, so mm-hmm. where does the origin of the pentagram come from? Do you know? Did that come up? I did not. Not with that. I do not know that off the top of my head. That's a really good okay. thing to look up, though. Yeah, when because this was started in the 19th century, right? Like 1700s? Or did I not listen? 18? Yeah, the, pen- 18, right? the pentagram traces back as long as the church does. I know that much. Okay. Oh, okay. I would... If I had to guess, I would say the pentagram probably comes somewhere from before Judaism, somewhere in ancient Egypt. That would that would be my immediate guess. Okay. Do not oh. like. I don't know that though. Something yeah. for us to look up at another time. Exactly. So there are more rituals that include the Order of the Golden Dawn's Tree of Life, which is considered the key source of something. So again, mm-hmm. like all of their rituals are meant for you to learn and to move up and across the Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. Um, the tree of life normally is inscribed onto these ritual daggers. All of the daggers have incredible symbols and are very, very cool. It's just a lot. It's just, that's like, 
their tree of life is very incredible and it's gorgeous, but I just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It just has every... It's very ornate. It is. All of their symbols are very, very ornate. And the fact that they then printed and put them onto other things is shocking. Again, if you want to know more about their rituals, please get that David Griffin book. It's still available on Amazon. It's just no longer in print. Again, it's the Ritual Magic Manual. If anybody happens to have a copy, please. I just, I really need this in my life. (laughs) And yeah, so there were a couple more fun things about the Golden Dawn that I'll end on. But they have their own book and encyclopedia. They also have their own specific tarot deck. So That's if anybody so cool. is interested in that, you can, it actually was like, it's looks slightly like a, a traditional tarot deck, but slightly darker. And cool. again, they also have a very, very, very poorly designed website. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I have to say about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and it's a company secondary and third organizations. That was a wild ride, dude right oh that was fun like, i like that literally what else do you need in a secret society outside of magic nothing <laughs> none and again okay. i liked that there was a distinction between you could think about magic and then you could also do the magic yeah that was fun i like it what the fuck mm-hmm. really <laughs> right again hey michigan you guys still kind of have an order imagine having that much free time this was the Victorian era. Do they have lights then? <laughs> There's pre and post light bulb, okay? Those are very different times I've, in the productivity of being alive. I think it's no, because isn't Victoria era right before the Industrial Revolution? Dude, don't ask me. I am not that ingrained in history. <laughs> it's fine. This podcast just proves how dumb we are. It's, it's great. Um. Okay, so... What are our hot takes? What are our big takeaways? Uh, My big takeaway is that this is the origin of magic, um, just like in its popular sense. So there's this theory that I well, when I was looking things up is like secret societies kind of have this tree of evolution, right? So apparently the Freemasons and Oddfellows, those are kind of like the core secret societies because everything kind of grew from them or people would break off mm-hmm. from those groups Hence and join this one. their own. Exactly, this one. And then I'm kind of saying that this is an extension of that and saying popular magic culture devolved, or not devolved, but evolved from these types of practices and ornateness and things like that. Ooh, I like that. That makes sense. I agree. Um, my big takeaway is much funnier than yours because (laughs) it's just because yours is like a well thought out conceptually like i get it mine is that tim wang was rejected from the illuminati or was kicked out and this is his revenge (laughs) oh no (laughs) like this man has a vendetta to someone and i'm pretty sure that someone has more power than we should like know about so that's that's gonna be my big takeaway tim wang was originally a member of the illuminati and or he never quite made the cut and now he's going to make them rue the day oh no okay i i'll allow it (laughs) okay so do you want to tell people where they can reach us uh, oh, uh, I'll do the email. So we currently have our email box set up. So you're free to email us at one of us is at lyingthepodcast.com. 
one of us is at lyingthepodcast.com. Correct. Correct. Please email us. We want friends. Jada and I will respond to your emails pretty please. If I don't respond to them, I at least will talk about them while we're in the podcast. So you'll hear about us understanding we got an email. If yeah. At the very least. <laughs> we'll probably still respond. We'll yeah. at least be like, we'll send you the really obnoxious work one of like, received. <laughs> and then, Just a red note. <laughs> and then you can find us on Instagram at one of us is lying podcast. Please follow us. We'll be posting photos. We'll be posting links and... I'm going to try to make interactive games on Instagram because, again, like, just hang out with us. That's all I got. Cool. So, yeah, find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.